2: From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdad. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to the weekend. Give yourselves a little pat on the back. Coming up in today's show, we will hear from Michael Grayeyes. He's an actor in The Peacock Show, Rutherford Falls, and he's going to talk about what makes it so good.
1: This is a smart show. A really, really smart show. Like, I I think humor is awareness, but this show always surprises me with how deep it is.
2: But first it's our chat about the week that was our guests this week are the co-hosts of New York magazine's The Cut Podcast, Jasmine Aguilera and B.A. Parker. Jasmine, hey.
3: Hi. Parker, welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. Oh, thank you. I have to apologize because there's a there's a garbage truck stalled in front of my apartment. I don't Oh, I hear that? that? I do. (laughs) I want to apologize. (laughs) It is not your fault, Parker. For New York City (laughs) as a whole.
2: I bet that's driving you insane. And I'm sorry to hear it, but I think we should just charge ahead. Okay. So this was, I think it's fair to say, a very interesting week. Uh, We found out we're not going to get to President Biden's goal of 70% of the American population receiving at least one vaccine by the 4th of July. The New York City Democratic mayoral primary is too close to call, but we know Andrew Yang isn't going to make it. Netflix has a new reality dating show where all the contestants have prosthetics that make them look like cast members of Cats.
1: I like your fin.
2: (laughs) But we are not going to talk about any of that stuff. I think we should start instead with Britney Spears. Um, She spoke at a court hearing this week about her conservatorship. This is something we've talked about on this show before. Essentially, the pop star's personal and professional life have been under the control of her estranged father since 2008. At the hearing, she spoke publicly about the details of the conservatorship, which she called abusive. Um, She's requesting that it be dissolved. Lots of people were on the edges of their seats following this, at least based on my Twitter feed. Um, There were some very haunting details. I'm curious if y'all tuned in. Jasmine, were you following this closely?
4: Um, Yeah, I was following it, especially because I uh, know a couple people that worked on the documentary that came out.
2: Right. You're talking about Framing Britney Spears, the New York Times documentary.
4: So like just following and revisiting that whole saga has been... Just <laughs> I don't even know if like mind blowing is the right word, but just heartbreaking, I guess. Yeah,
2: yeah. well, and it is like, I don't There's so much to wrap your head around where it's just like, how is this even real? You know, like it just doesn't make sense that it's a thing that could happen in the year of our Lord 2021. You know what I mean?
4: it's also crazy that the idea it challenges the idea that if enough people know about a problem that it will get fixed because mm. everyone knows about mm. this. And yet here we are still, you know, yeah. you think that like with enough outrage, there'll be some kind of movement and maybe this is what that is. Maybe.
2: Well, and there is a free Britney movement. And I, I do think you probably could argue that the free Britney movement has something to do with her standing up for herself. Now, I don't know. What do you think, Parker?
3: I think that I just, what, got me was just how haunting it was like the the details of it and just um you know having people outside of yourself being in control of like your reproductive rights and your yeah. ability to like get married and to have a life is so uh horrifying yeah
4: yeah
2: yeah you're referring to the fact that she testified that she wanted to get her iud removed and couldn't which is just like i'm sorry what yeah yeah and one thing she said yesterday was all i want is to own my money for this to end and my boyfriend to drive me in his car which is like not doesn't seem like too much to ask
3: it's like the, ba- the, the bare minimum yeah of a girl of a 40 year old woman
2: yeah again in the year 2021 you know like it just is astounding yeah So, staying with the legal world, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the United States Supreme Court, um, which, I don't know, I feel like these days, speaking of, you know, the right to choose or whatever, often cases these days can be super dire. But I found this story to be oddly refreshing. Turns out, back in 2017, teenager Brandi Levy took a Snapchat to express her frustration at not making the varsity squad. She was a cheerleader. She said, fuck the school, fuck cheer, fuck everything, and and she got kicked off the team and she sued and the controversy has made it all the way to the highest court in the land and this week eight justices agreed with brandy that free speech is free speech as long as it doesn't disrupt the classroom i am just so delighted by this um i'm curious for both of you like is there something equivalent that you might have been suspended for i mean partly why i think i'm i find this so delightful is like i also am like Filled with relief by the fact that Snapchat didn't exist when I was 17. So I just like didn't even have the possibility of saying fuck everything on a public (laughs) platform. Um, But I don't know. Yeah, it got me wondering, like, is there is there something that thinking about now, if you had said it on Snapchat, you probably would have gotten kicked off the cheerleading squad.
3: (laughs) oh boy that's more of a jasmine question oh
4: you know you know me so well Parker.
3: <laughs> i had a feeling jasmine was gonna yeah. have a good one for yeah this.
4: no i have many I, I was actually like struggling to pick one um <laughs> i had an attitude in high school um uh well first of all this, this whole story is such a mood <laughs> like, right? I it's such a mood Um, And also, like, the the cojones to, like, take it all the way to Supreme Court. Like, good good on you, girl. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Um, she might as well have said, fuck the Supreme Court, you know? (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) Well, Well, when I read this story, I immediately thought of this picture that exists... Um, me and my best friend in senior year of high school, we took a picture of us flipping off the like Soquel high school, which is the name of my high school, like mm. sign in our graduation oh, yeah. robes. Okay. Uh, just as like a, you know, whatever. And, um, I had already graduated, right. They'd already given me my diploma. And afterwards, uh, they saw it on MySpace Cause that's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I got, po- I got like called in Because, you know, you have the last day of school and you have graduations after school ends, right? Uh So they still called in in the summer and they were like, you need to take this down. And I was like, uh, (laughs) I was like, what are you going to do? Take my diploma? I already have it. It's like, like, no. Uh, So I didn't really do anything about it, but they tried. And I think ultimately they realized that they were going to like lose that battle, um, and I think that they were a little bit more uh, willing to let me be me because I did like the morning announcements. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was like kind of like one of those kids that was really active in a lot of different clubs and a lot of weird stuff. But I also just had like a, I had an attitude. I was constantly like doing protests in the quad and like, yes. you know, doing stuff like that. So um, they can't control me. Can't be controlled. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I love that. What do you think, Parker? Is there anything in your sordid past?
3: <laughs> oh, mine was protest related when I was like, oh, God, it's going to sound bad when you say it out loud. <laughs> like right after 9-11, mm. when I was in, I was like 14, I guess I had I made a T-shirt like patriotism got a little too too rough. Yeah. And so I made a T-shirt at school that said, I'm afraid of Americans. Wow, and I got detention for it. Mm. Um, then, and then, then my one of my favorite teachers was um, in charge of the detention, and she was like, she taught me how to protest. So she was like, I'm not implementing this detention; just get out. Oh, good. Yeah, like she was one of those people that was like, here's uh, here use your use the school computers to look up anything unsavory in case the government's looking. <laughs> like, She helped me make like impeach Bush posters. Like, I, I, so I, that was my bag. I wasn't, I wasn't really a cursed person. I wasn't really Mm. a, I didn't, I didn't say, um, bad words a lot until Mm. I moved to New York.
2: (laughs) I feel like the most I got in trouble was probably in junior high and I, I had pneumonia, so I couldn't be in gym class. So I like spent that period in the library and I was talking to a friend in the library and the librarian told us to shush and I mouthed what a bitch at my friend who I was talking to, (laughs) which is funny to think about because it's such an obvious like you don't have to say the words. It's very clear if you're mouthing what a bitch and like the librarian saw me and then she gave me detention. And I feel very as a book and librarian lover now, I feel very bad that I, you know, was so mean to the librarian (laughs)
4: um
2: one thing that i've been thinking about a lot lately that i'm curious to ask you two about is online dating i feel like we are like quote unquote post pandemic enough that like people are getting back on the apps and doing the thing i am still extremely reticent about the entire process hide um (laughs) jasmine i know you did an episode not specifically about online dating but at least about dating um Are you back on the apps? Are you doing this thing?
4: Oh, girl, I've been on the apps. (laughs) Really,
2: the whole time.
4: Uh, Yeah. uh, Wow. I I I, um have I need a therapist. (laughs)
2: that's funny because i talked to my therapist last week and she was like yeah don't do it you're not ready yet and i was like thank you therapist therapist
3: the same thing (laughs) she was like also just like just maybe not date guys in new york don't you visit baltimore a lot why don't you try there (laughs) i mean that seems like it's probably pretty good advice (laughs) (laughs) so jasmine do you have any highlights
2: Anything that will make like affirm oh. Parker's oh, in my, my decision. Gosh.
4: <laughs> Where do I begin? Um, well, I had one guy show up at my house high on cocaine.
2: Oh my god! Wow. <laughs> he didn't okay. tell me,
4: and I was like, "Is he nervous?" He was just like, "I'm talking really fast," blah, 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 and he was just like going on about his whole life. When I was like, "How are you?" Bam, his whole life story, and like at one point five speed or something. And then in the middle of it, I was like, "Are are you okay?" And he was like, "I'm sorry, I took like a bump before I got here because I was so nervous." And like, blah, 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 and I was like, oh, "Okay." Wow. <laughs> so that's a winner. Um,
2: <laughs> so you're engaged now? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Now we're gonna get married.
4: Yeah, no, it's been trash. I actually, I'm, I've made the revelation recently that I'm gonna get off of them. And now that everything is opening up, I'm actually going to try to do it organically again. Yeah. I've never had a relationship work out for like longer than like a couple months that started on a dating app. But the ones that start organically, even if the person is like not as much of my type, like even if they're, you know, not exactly what I want, I still find myself wanting them more because the context of how we met Mm. feels more like a romantic storyline that I'm more invested in than like, we both wanted a foot, you know?
2: (laughs) Well, I like the idea of real life. Do you have any strategies for that that I should be doing? Probably staying up past 9 p.m., huh?
4: Well, that and I honestly I've just embraced shamelessness. I just like I just go right up to people and go, hey, I think you're really hot. Like, are you here with anybody? I did that over the weekend to somebody. (laughs) Did it work? No, I got (laughs) cock (laughs) blocked. It would have worked. I was at a karaoke place and this girl was there. She was so fine. And I just like walked up to her and I put my hand on her knee. She she was fine with it. And I said, You are so hot. Like, are you here with anybody? And she's like, No, I'm not. And I'm like, Okay. And but then she was kind of like flirting with a bunch of different people. And I asked her friend who was with her, I was like, Is she gay? And she's like she was like, Yeah, she's bi and I was like, Great, like I'm gonna try. And then like I I sang, I touch myself. Ew. Up on me and she started dancing on me, like grinding up on me while I was okay. singing. And I was like, Alright, green light, go. And then mm-hmm. she, she grabbed my hand after I was done. She's like, Let's go take some shots at the bar. And I'm like, Alright. And we walked right up to the bar, and then two dudes that I was there with, like I was there as a big party, mm. they came in, swooped in on either side, and completely cockblocked me. It was, I was like, hey! And I literally put my hand on one of their chests and like pushed them away, and I was like, No. <laughs> I'm trying here and I was unsuccessful I was very frustrated so
2: oh, that was an admirable attempt though I respect the game I respect the game <laughs> you just gotta sure. try
4: it you gotta you can't be afraid of rejection
2: okay okay this is helpful this is very helpful Parker what do you think
3: I got nothing for you Greta <laughs> the, the dating apps are awful like yeah. for me men don't know how to talk to chubby black girls with mm. a, with like some kind of common sense Mm-mm. So like I think the one of the more successful interactions I was like on Bumble or whatever, and the in the guy I said hi, um, and the guy went name the five the five ways that you're useful. Jesus Christ! What? <laughs> oh my god! Oh went, my Aw. god! Were you like fuck
2: school, fuck cheer, fuck <laughs> you? <laughs> Parker, Jasmine, thank you both so much. Y'all are the best. Thank you. Thank you so much, Greta. In just a minute, Michael Gray Eyes is going to give you approximately one million reasons why you should watch Rutherford Falls, the newest show from Mike Sure.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO.
1: More info and early bird registration at wbez.org
0: slash events.
2: Our guest today is an actor on one of the best shows I have seen so far this year. It's called Rutherford Falls. It's on Peacock, and it's the latest show from Mike Schur, who's behind Parks and Rec and The Good Place in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Ed Helms from The Office is in it, but as you'll find out in this interview, there is a lot more to it than that. First, though, here's what the show is about. Ed Helms plays Nathan Rutherford. He's the descendant of the guy who founded this town, Rutherford Falls, on native land. Nathan's best friend is Regan, who's played by Janice Schmeeding, who's amazing. She's a member of the fictional Minneshanka Nation, and she works for Terry Thomas, who owns the casino in town. Terry is played by Michael Greyeyes, who's Plains Cree, and he is with us now. Michael, welcome to Nerdette.
1: Hi there. Hi, Greta.
2: Oh, I'm so excited to have you. So um, obviously those were just like the barest of plot points that I just gave. I think the show does a lot. It speaks to a lot of conversations that people are having around reckonings with legacies and identities. I think it's also largely about friendship and community and ambition. I'm curious what stood out to you when you first heard about it.
1: Uh, To me, this is a really beautiful examination of the ground that we stand on. It's uh, to me, it's an examination of like why people are the way they are. The characters in the story are mm-hmm. all shaped by history in some way, and we come to each other in this moment, and we are, however you would describe it, we are products, we are victims, you know, we are uh, manifestations of of all these complex histories, and we just come into mm-hmm. intersection with each other. And we have to, like, deal with all of it, like we do in real life.
2: Yeah. So, as I mentioned, you're an Indigenous actor. Um, I've read half the writer's room on this show is also made up of Indigenous people. That is not the norm. How much do you think that changed what this show could do?
1: Um, Yeah, that's, that's not the norm. It's far from it. So by having numerous Indigenous voices from different nations, from all over Turtle Island, what the show is able to do is uh, tackle the notion that we, are, that we are monolithic in any way. Haudenosaunee people are very different than, than Seminole people, which are, who are quite different than Blackfeet. You know? So when mm-hmm. I look at the show, I see families, I see Indigenous families really beautifully wrought and written about. And so for me, that's the benefit of having numerous writers is that we can create community.
2: I feel like the jokes are also just really good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The, um, Sierra is a genius, you know, like I tell her that and she likes one
2: of the showrunners. Yes.
1: Our showrunner. And she, um, she, you know, she, she poo's me. She goes, no, 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 no. We're just working. We're worker bees. Um, (laughs) but, uh, it's it's the it's the intelligence like this is a smart show a really really smart show like i think i think humor is awareness but this show always surprises me with how deep
2: it is yeah i want to listen to a clip that i think speaks to exactly what you're talking about this is one of the funniest scenes of the show i thought it's at a public event that the mayor is hosting she's the town's first black mayor she's played by dana l wilson she's a great character So your character and the mayor have a lot of pretty hilarious and I think super nuanced power struggles. And you can really see it in this scene. Uh, The mayor is holding court in front of this group of people and Terry literally walks up. He has his own mic. He like pulls it out of his pocket and he starts talking in Mohawk. And there are just a couple of English words and the mayor is completely confounded. And I just think it's hilarious.
1: I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that we are currently standing on Minishanka land.
2: Beautiful.
0: Okay.
1: What can I do? I am the one who is the one ...I the one who is 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 unfortunate genocide. Your on your salade. So frigid.
2: <laughs> I mean, partly it's a bummer that you can't see her facial expressions just listening to the audio, because I think that's also partly what makes that mm-hmm. scene so great. But it I does. mean, that's hilarious.
1: It's, it's one of my favorite scenes um, for like very specific reasons. Um, you nailed it already is that Dana L. Wilson is a comedy goddess in that scene. Her her sort of like, first of all, her surprise that I, I interrupt her speech with my own mm-hmm. mic is <laughs> really so beautiful. And then her growing consternation <laughs> while at the same time, you know, putting on this smile like I'm the mayor and this is, I knew we talked about this and this is what was going to happen. And by the end, her defeat, like she sells every joke line. So Dana is a, a hero in, 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 in the scene, but the writing is so brilliant because there's only a few English words peppered into that whole speech and that's in Mohawk. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. indigenous people all over Turtle Island don't know what we're saying. Only Mohawk speakers would know what mm-hmm. I'm saying. So even within our, like in a pan indigenous context, we're still, just like everybody else, going, I really want to know what he's saying. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, th- I think he's trolling her publicly. Like, <laughs> right there. And, and so the entire idea for that joke is housed within an Indigenous ontology. Meaning, we are the joke writers. We are Indigenous. We're housing this entirely within our... Um, our points of view, our worldview, anybody outside of it is going to laugh because they're outside. And, and I realized when I, when I read that in, in, when we were working on the season, I was like, I've just not seen this. I've not seen a, a show. So unapologetically claim their own space as the center of the narrative. And that's what they did with that, with that speech. I, I I simply applaud that moment. It's it's actually uh, television history.
0: Hmm.
2: Oh, that's so cool! So you have had an extensive career in film and TV. You were in True Detective. You've played a number of historical Indigenous men, like Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse and Tecumseh. This is your first comedy role, right? Mm-hmm. I think partly what what was. Such a treat. I mean, I think everyone on this show was incredible, but it seemed to me like you especially were having such a great time in that role.
1: Um, best role of my career. You think so? Absolutely. Ugh. Absolutely, and it's because I've been really fortunate in the last, I'll probably say about five, six years, uh, with the kind of writing that I've been given, the kind of directors I've been working with. You know, the prestige of the various projects, but in no case, um, have I ever been asked to bring so much of myself to a role? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I think I'm funny. You know, my kids think I'm funny. (laughs) My wife thinks I'm funny. Um, (laughs) but people are stunned when they go, you're hilarious. You're Mm -hmm. like, I just, why haven't you done comedy before? And I'm like, uh, because that's just the way the business works. You know,
2: because nobody wrote it for you. Because nobody wrote it for me,
1: and nobody saw it that way. And I certainly don't look like I'm. You know, I'm. I'm I look the way I look, and I play imposing men, and or broken men, and mm-hmm. I've loved playing those roles. But Terry isn't broken. He's mm-hmm. ambitious, and his life has cohesion, and he's happy, and he has a lot of joy in his life. Um, and I've not been asked to play um joy often
2: mm. oh that kind of breaks my heart
1: well you know what it's like there you know where I'm, I'm lucky i have work you know like i'm all you yeah, know I'm, of
2: I'm, course you know i'm a of working course. actor
1: but um i think uh america is um quite interest. well they're simply consumed um with uh trauma so i think there's a tradition of uh you know whether it's cathartic or whatever it is is that our communities have been perceived as tragic mm-hmm. um our certainly our history is very complex with a lot of trauma mm-hmm. uh and i think people are comfortable in seeing us or understanding us that way and rutherford falls denies those storytelling tropes again and again
2: it really does um, so the show isn't only jokes. I'm thinking about the monologue that happens toward the end of episode four. It's called Terry Thomas, and it's a lot of backstory of your character. Um, at the end, you're in an interview with an NPR reporter. His name is Josh. He's played by Dustin Milligan, who is Ted in Schitt's Creek. There's this moment during the interview when Josh, who it seems like has done his homework, um, essentially says that the Minashanka way of life doesn't coincide well, doesn't pair well with capitalism. And Terry reaches over and turns off Josh's recorder and settles down for some real talk.
1: If we want to ensure this tribe has a successful life, one that can maintain our traditions, art and culture, well, it takes power. And unfortunately, power comes from money. The casino is a means to an end. It's the industry of this time. 400 years ago, it was fur trading. 50 years ago, it was manufacturing. And long after I'm dead, there will be Minishanka figuring out how to master the next endeavor. Because that's what we do, Josh. Those of us who fight this battle. We do whatever we have to. I've had to learn to play this game through bare-knuckle necessity. And while it might not make for a feel-good story, I won't rest until my nation gets every single thing that was taken from them.
2: Ugh, it's, I mean, it gives, it's chilling. Uh, yeah. What was it like to see that in the script?
1: Um, I, I was moved to tears mm-hmm. when I first read that. Mm-hmm. That particular speech is, um, again, landmark. The complexity of language, the complexity of sentence structure is again, not something given to native characters in mainstream entertainment. And then he was addressing lots of uh, social, political things. So when I think about that speech, I'm actually, um, I'm always blown away because there was such rage sitting underneath a lot of that writing. Really profound rage. Um, Generations of anger, it felt like. And my job was to not, not capsize that boat I said recently, you know, that uh, generations ahead of us, uh, they had to eat a lot of shit, grin and bear it for our Mm -hmm. sake. And uh, when he turns off the recorder in that speech, he's allowed to speak with with an older generation's fury. And then when he's done, he presses the button on the (laughs) recorder again. And then we see him smile and we see that, you know, that big, huge smile and like, thank you Mm -hmm. so much. Josh, I've enjoyed speaking with you, and then we realize, oh my God, yeah, the the double consciousness of people who are bat- who are in this battle of how we negotiate um, ignorance, how we negotiate entitlement and privilege, is never ending. It's friggin' tiring, but that speech tackles, I mean, a lot of it. And so f- for me, I'll, I'll I'll never forget the moment when I first read it.
2: It's a profound scene, um, and it's a gorgeous show. And you've I mean, you have even said how monumental it has been, not only in your own career, but just in terms of of, you know, representation and having conversations that just have never existed on TV before. Mm. Um obviously I think we also can't like get to a show like Rutherford Falls and then be like, Okay, great, we did it, like it's done. <laughs> we fixed it all. Yeah. Um I'm curious, what would you like to see next? Like, what do you think is the next step in, in making Strides Forward with, when it comes to a show like this and, and more shows like it?
1: Um, well, I think what we've, what we've created is a thesis statement with our first season. There is no guarantee that we'll get a second. You know, I think, I think everyone has to understand that. That the thesis statement we made was um, our stories when we're allowed to tell them are universally appealing we're funny um we're you know there's there's a beautiful sadness mixed in with our humor so i argue that we we don't know whether we'll get a chance to build on on these seasons this first season of work uh so understand therefore that this is a precarious position reservation dogs is coming out next you know i I joke that uh rutherford falls if we were a band we would be the beatles and reservation dogs they're the rolling stones right (laughs) so i love both those bands right so Mm -hmm. our our world is better because they're both in it um so we can't have just one right uh we can't have just two um what what we yeah we got to get the
2: who in there we got to get pink floyd we got to get the ramones
1: you know (laughs) the clash so uh so i i hope this is the beginning of a sea change um that's my fervent hope
2: i hope so too i hope we get a season two and i just really appreciate your time michael this was really a pleasure to talk with you
1: oh greta it was my pleasure
2: That's it for this week. Hope y'all have lovely weekends. We will be back next Friday with another episode. In the meantime, you can keep in touch with us on the interwebs. Nerdette is at Nerdette Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. I am at Greta M. Johnson on both Instagram and Twitter. And our producer, Isabel Carter, is on Twitter at Isabel T. Carter. Also, we have a newsletter. You should sign up for it. Every Friday morning, we send over links to cool stuff, things to read or cook or think about or watch. We also put in book club episodes. We have links to some classic eps from the archive. You can sign up for that by going to wbez.org slash AF. The show is produced by me and Isabel Carter. Our executive producer is Brendan Manozak. We will see you next week.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO.